The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, good morning and welcome to Tech Talk Cafe right here on High FM, where I try to bring you all the latest and greatest. And there's no question, the future is something that is inevitable. It's coming. We're going to have to deal with it. And there are certain insights and implications that a lot of experts in the field predict. It's always this time of the year. I mean, there's a never-ending stream of, oh, what's happening, or wrap-ups of 2022 and predictions for 2023. And not to buck that little trend, I'm going to be talking about something really cool in that space, and it affects us all. It may not be cool in all instances if you've become a victim of some form of electronic um, skullduggery, if you want to use a really old-fashioned word. But truth be told, security, cybersecurity, and what goes on online is so fundamental to everything that we do. You pick up your phone, you're exposed, you log on via your computer, you even switch your computer on and go to a, a website, and there's potential for all manner of interesting happenings and whatnot. So, a lot of people sort of go into their shells, won't connect, won't give their email, won't do this, won't do that. And unfortunately, what that does, it creates a massive disconnect with what is possible in this hyper-connected and hyper-technology-driven world. And whether we like it or not, I love it. It's my game. I love technology. Whether we like it or not, very simply, you cannot interact at any level with most businesses, with governments, with cities, with who, with whatever. Uh, unless you have some form of connection, some sort of digital connection with the internet, with whatever cloud service, whatever you use. Your computer needs it to operate your word. It needs it to just simply do the basic stuff, browse the web, make bookings, order stuff, you name it. It's all available online. For the most part, it's all super simple. But businesses, and conversely, those that wish to make money without doing any hard work, are going head-to-head 24 by 7, and it's a significant cat-and-mouse game. But what we're going to be discussing in Tech Talk Cafe is some predictions of 2023 from a company called Splunk. Now, they're a very interesting company, but essentially they tout themselves as the operating system for data. And at their core, they're a security company, and they allow large corporations, your bank, your telco, your retailer, people like Woolworths, pick and pay, to run enterprise security systems to make sure that their systems are entirely safe or as safe as they possibly can be and use artificial intelligence and all sorts of other stuff to try to predict when our smart fellows in the dark side of the web and the dark side of business are trying to steal your money or whatever it is that they're doing. So stay tuned for that. That's coming in at you know, around about 20 past uh, 11. And we'll go through a cu- couple of their predictions and the impact that will have on you. But in truth, this show is bit, a bit of the endings and the beginnings of 2022 and the beginnings of 2023. Big tech show coming up as usual. CES, beginning of 2023. Thought long and hard. The FOMO kicked in like mad, but decided this year, not going to go too far too many people, it's going to be absolutely crazy. And with the wonder of the internet, I can absolutely follow my favorite tech journos and whatnot and see exactly what's going on from the comfort of my own desk 
or phone or wherever I am. I don't need to brave 27-hour flights and uh, craziness of, of air travel and everything that goes with it. But we'll get back to that a little later. But in big, big, big news, Apple have now, well, they haven't actually said anything official, but the word is out that from next year sometime, certainly in Europe and probably many other countries that enact similar legislation like South Africa's Popia and, you know, the whole, there are many countries that have a very similar take on on digital and markets and things like that. But a recent a recent bill was passed in the European Union called the Digital Markets Act, which simply states that massive people like Google, like Apple, like Microsoft, who are gatekeepers in so many ways to everything that we do, may not abuse this position to maintain market dominance. And it sounds simple, but it is extremely complicated. And one of the first and most interesting thing is that Apple never allowed any app stores other than their own on iOS. You just couldn't do it. You had to jailbreak your phone. It was a whole techie paradise. But the average guy could not do anything. However, it appears that from sometime next year, because the act comes, this new act comes into force in the next few weeks, but only people, the companies only need to comply by 2024. And apparently Apple are busy trying to rejig the entire operating system, which was entirely closed, to allow the use of third-party app stores. And the main reason for that really, really is to level the playing field. Apple were taking 30% of every cent spent through their app store, which huge amount of money. And I, I suppose there's a lot of justification from Apple's side, from other people's side, like Spotify have been fighting them for ages over this. A lot of big companies, certainly retailers and people like that, have got small exemptions from it. So it's always been a bit messy and a little fractious, but it may well end. The, the actual simple take I have on the whole thing is that as much as it it will allow third-party app stores and you will be able to download third-party apps and install them on your iPhone without um, any restrictions per se, the vast majority of people are totally comfortable with keeping it simple. There's a simple app store. It's preloaded. They don't go out hunting for new ones. Um, also, they feel a little bit uneasy, as we were talking earlier, about just downloading stuff that's not approved by Apple, that's coming from some random app store they've never heard of. So I think it's going to be a little bit of a ferric victory for, for the European Union and others. But fundamentally, it does change the playing field. And if it is shown that Apple or Microsoft or any of them, I'm not singling any of the guys out, Amazon, Google, are abusing their massive scale and status to create situations where small guys can't compete or situations where it's not a level playing field, they can be uh, fined up to 10% of their global income by the European Union. And truth be told, unlike certain uh, South African regulators, they have teeth and they have fined people billions upon billions of euros and they've had to pay. I know it's gone to court and there's been all sorts of carryings on, but Simply put, the, the playing field will be level. There will definitely be benefits for the smaller guy. Um, you should be able to interoperate with other people's. So if you use Google services and Amazon services, you can do stuff that you probably couldn't do before. 
And it also allows all the business users and other users of these services to conclude business outside of the gatekeepers platform. So you might be inherently built on Google, but you want to deal with someone else and you'll be able to do so and Google cannot block you. So watch this space. I think that's a fundamental shift. We're going to see a lot of change, a lot of things happening in that space. And um, it will, in many ways, level the playing field. Hopefully, it will drive innovation. We'll see a lot of cool stuff. And mostly, the impact on the big guys is that they're going to have to work much harder to stay ahead. They can't simply uh, continue the way they have and just rest. But anyway, it's going to be a very, very interesting space. And I think we're going to see a lot of changes coming in 2023 into 2024 to take care of this, not least, again, due to European Union, the uh, Apple, all Apple devices will have USB-C ports, which again is a big change. So um, the big guys are trying to manage this whole process and the regulators are certainly having an impact. And now we'll be back with some really fascinating insights into the world of skullduggery and cybersecurity straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Now moving on to the Splunk, I've got this in very interesting little document from a company called Splunk. As I said, they are a major player. All the top 500 companies in the world use them in their security and data analytics platforms. And they've got some really smart analysts in the space. And it's very interesting to hear what they think is coming for 2020. They've been doing this every year. Some of their predictions for last year came true. In fact, their, their, their scorecard is pretty good. I think most of the things they threat, they spoke about with regard to cyber threats came, came about or, or evolved during the course of 2022. And it's very interesting to see what's coming in 2023. And again, we need to understand the scenario of how the world has shifted. For most of us, it's been a tough year. Load shedding, the end of COVID, well, end. But the sort of abeyance of COVID for now, everything seems quiet. No one seems to worry about it. So that certainly has changed the world. The, the emergence of what they call revenge travel, with the whole world going absolutely nuts traveling because, you know what? You never know what's happening. You may die of some random pandemic out of the blue. So let's travel. Let's experience the world. Let's get out there. Let's stand in lines at airports forever. Just one of those things. But such such is the world we live in. One of the more subtle and fundamental changes that emerged through the radical and enforced um, shutdown of the world, literally in 2020, was a massive growth in the utilization of electronic platforms for communication, for commerce, for absolutely everything. It became incredibly important for businesses to reach out to their clients electronically, to deal with them electronically, to process information electronically, and to do everything that you could do without physical connection, without physically delivering, working, moving, sitting. So people started working from home and that hasn't changed to a large extent. Some companies have been forced coming back, discussion for another time, which is better, all being in one physical office or operating from anywhere in the world via an electronic connection. But what this has resulted in is an, is an absolutely 
unbelievable growth in the systems, platforms, communication technologies, and everything else that goes with a connected world. Now, South Africa has got a pretty unique challenge right now. We, we don't have power for many, much of the day. I mean, essentially, in the, in the recent few weeks, we've been out of power for an entire workday. Eight hours a day, you didn't have power. Yes, it was broken up, and yes, it was shifted around the country. But simply put, you could not operate in this always-on, 24-by-7 connected universe for eight hours, almost, one, well, one-third um, of your day, simply because you couldn't plug in your equipment. Yes, there's ways around it. Yes, many of us have got UPSs and batteries, and we've been able to do a pretty good job of sidestepping it. Those smart ones with solar panels and whatnot. The problem is it's great for you individually, but societally, you had too many people without power. So business sort of struggled in that space. But that, again, is a conversation for an entirely new new show. But right now, looking at what's going on in the cyber cybersecurity space, and this affects us all. We all send money online. We all buy things online. We send important data, which is protected via certain regulations. There's just... Nothing that we don't do anymore online via our phones, via our computers, via any form of electronic panel or system or platform. And according to Splunk, they believe that despite security and um, being safe and secure, a key tenant of any business, what businesses have to become much more than simply being safe is resilient. Because Things are happening. Climate events. Who would have predicted a war in Russia with Russia and Ukraine? Supply chain disruptions. Massive supply chain disruptions as a consequence of COVID. Pandemics shut the world down. Who would have even... I mean, in 2019, nobody would have even thought such a thing was possible. What's resulted from that? Maybe, maybe not. The, 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 the experts are out on that. Severe climate events. The recent floods in Johannesburg. Um, the Joburg City had to ask ESCOM, please don't load shed us because we can't fix stuff while there's no power. Things like that have changed the playing field enormously. And at the same time, because following this growth of connectedness, following this growth of the entire area, the surface area of connection moving from a core business which was shut down and secure into the great unknown people dialing in, or dialing in, no money, dialing, connecting from, shows my age, dialing in. Still remember that, unfortunately. But connecting from Barbados, connecting from London, connecting from anywhere onto a local system, doing what they need to do, performing their work, and moving on. So businesses really, really need to be far more resilient. They have to relook at all their platforms, systems, and most importantly, they have to relook at all their processes that are based on these systems and platforms. And what makes it super complicated is most companies have a mixture of really old and really new platforms. The new ones, obviously, built in a more modern age, have been built from the ground up to take a lot of these sort of advanced technologies, AI, zero trust frameworks, all these other practices into account, whereas the older legacy systems didn't. And when they connect, there's absolutely massive opportunity for companies and for those 
specializing in breaking into companies um, to 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 profit. So going through not all of them, they're just too many too many key things. But I think the the key and the most important predictions is that the companies that operate and supply all our services are going to have to take on a lot more responsibility for broader cyber resilience. In other words, it's no longer simply there's a firewall, there's a hardware firewall, there's a software firewall, we lock down, no one can log in, you know, passwords, multi-factor authentication. In other words, you get an SMS before you can log in. All that sort of stuff will absolutely um, have to stay. But because the, the surface area from a little building where everything was there, the servers were there, the computers were there, the people were there, the laptops were there, everything was there, you could control it. You're now talking about stuff that's all over the world coming through, MTN, Vodacom, international networks, cables, you name it. And now that's all going to be dealt with. So the the security and tech team has to be much more strategic and much better planned in terms of what they do and how they do it. And they're going to have to be much more on top of the types of threats that are coming. And that's and that has been happening for a year. And next year we see that, or they see that, Splunk see that as a massive area of concern. And management, as well as all of us, need to, to be much more educated in terms of what is possible, what they need to do, and how they need to respond. And that is a huge thing in itself. You know, business is tough, everyone's doing their jobs. But I think that the, the understanding of the new environment in which cyber criminals and legitimate business operate has to change. So we can't seem, we can't really call the, the, the chief information officer, the chief resilience officer, because that sounds super corny. But in, in essence, every single one of the execs and all of us need to become much more resilient, make plans that if things go awry, we can move really quickly to take care of things. The other area which they believe is going to be a massive growth, and I mean, this is an interesting stat. They did a, a massive report in 2022, and they found that 79% of organizations have experienced ransomware attacks. And 35% of those, nearly half of these, said that the attack led them to lose access to data and systems. Now, ransomware is a very simple process in theory. Somehow, these malicious actors get onto your platform system computer, and it happens to home people as well. It's not just businesses, but anybody. A lot of people I've spoken to have had malicious attacks where their system suddenly locks up and says, please send Bitcoin interesting factoid about that in a minute. Please send us some Bitcoin or send us a thousand dollars or send us some money and we will send you the password to unlock your system. This has happened in South Africa on, a, on, a, on an absolutely insane scale. But in many ways, it has followed trends that have emerged across the world. So ransomware is going to grow and they predict that... Um, this is going to be a, a massive, massive area. And it's big money. Here, on average, respondents said that the largest ransom their organization paid was $347,000. So 27% of these companies paid, paid the crooks. And about 39% said we had a backup and we're not going to pay and we moved on. But therein lies the, the interest. Who has got a backup good enough to simply wipe their current system lock the door again 
and pick it up and get going. Quite difficult without any loss of data and maybe a very short loss or short downtime. Imagine a bank having that sort of problem. Imagine you've seen the, the nonsense when FNB or Standard Bank go down for a couple of hours and you can't operate. It is crazy. So the resilience of that, the, the need for these companies to move so quickly uh, in this space with regard to ransomware. And ransomware is an incredibly uh, complex thing. It's not as simple as simply somehow locking a system. But imagine getting into a major corporation, a major government agency, locking their systems down. It happened in South Africa to major, many, many, corporate, many uh, government agencies and shutting them down. It happened to the legal system, the, the court system shut down because of it. So that unfortunately, the sophistication of the tax, the, um, the whole hack for hire groups around the world um, are definitely becoming more and more prevalent. And we expect or they expect, sorry, I keep using the word we, but I agree with them fully, there is going to be a massive growth in that space. Here's another little prediction that they have. <laughs> it just sounds so counterintuitive, but once you understand what they're talking about, it absolutely makes sense. Why not scale your cybercrime as a service business? Makes We've been doing it. We're all used to data as a service Laptops, is, well, not laptops, physical laptops or not, but any form of Office 365 is word processing as a service. Tech as a service has become a major trend. So why not have cybercrime as a service? And that economy will accelerate in volume and effectiveness of cyber attacks. So the ransomware gangs have become more and more professional. They predicted it last year, and unfortunately, they were 100% correct. These... Um, cyber criminals are no longer opportunistic youngsters or people just sitting individually in the in, in a basement trying their best to get a bit of money. But this is where I said the nugget of interest is that they've also found is that many of these ransomware and cyber attackers will no longer accept Bitcoin, <laughs> which is pretty remarkable considering Bitcoin was seen as the go-to and the only way they could get their money with no, no one being able to track them. But now they're not accepting Bitcoin which just shows you where Bitcoin's going. But simply put, the, the cybercrime syndicates are becoming extremely professional. They're operating like thorough corporate businesses of their own. They're offering their services for a fee to third parties to attack. And the amateurs in the game are, are slowly, slowly disappearing as the, 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 the Fortune 1000 blackmailers or, or cyber criminals are moving into the corporate world. So there is no question that cybercrime is going to become form, far more professional. And businesses and us are going to have to be much more aware of this because they will have resources. They'll be able to phone you, contact you, deal with you as if they were a bank with all the necessary, you know, walk-in. They'll have walk-in uh, sites where you can check to see if your account's been hacked and meanwhile they do something else. So cybercrime as a service is on the rise. We're going to see more and more of it in the new year and going forward as this will be the only way that this sort of thing can happen because you can no longer, physical crime is, or financial crime anyway, is certainly on the, on the out. And the, the 
scale and the rewards of cybercrime in the phys- in the in the digitally connected world is just insane. You can be anywhere, do anything. There's some serious implications around you know policing the stuff globally, but simply put, the the blackmail and the amount of attacks on top companies around the world is going to grow. And South Africa is at particular risk, unfortunately. Our systems are old. The economic situation has created situations where the government systems are running on Windows 95 and things like that. So the amount of of opportunity for hacking and problems is only going to grow exponentially. And it's going to take an enormous effort to bring systems, platforms, processes and people to the level needed to stave off these highly professional, super profitable and massive cyber cyber crook companies that are operating globally from the strangest places in order to attack. And as I said, fewer, round about 30, 40% of all ransomware attacks, they, they, they will not use cryptocurrency anymore, which is really, really interesting. So the techniques of cyber war will become commercial, as simple as that. Critical infrastructure, basic infrastructure, will definitely be weaponized to disrupt business and more concerningly to even discuss, uh, disrupt political discourse. So the the cyber teams of major companies and major countries are going to have to scale up enormously to be able to understand the type of um, misinformation, disinformation that's being sent. And I mean, the latest one to see was the deepfake video of Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky ordering his countrymen to to surrender. Russia as a state are engaged in massive cyber warfare uh, for political and territorial reasons, not just to steal money, but using the technologies. This is happening all the time. And that's an example of the level of sophistication. You could be theoretically sent an email from someone you know and trust with a video explaining that there's been perhaps a breach of something and you need to do something else. And the next thing you log in based on this type of stuff, and it's hard to dispute a perfectly clear video of someone you know speaking with a voice you understand and know telling you to do something. So it's that level of of attack. And I'm not painting, I don't want to, I've got a few minutes of this left, but I don't want to paint a situation of absolute doom and gloom. The simple fact is that most large companies, I know the big banks in South Africa, I know the large insurance companies, I know a couple of the large retailers all have platforms, systems, and you name it, to, to, to predict, to manage using some of the, the latest artificial intelligence and machine learning platforms to try to stop this type of thing. And it's in their interest to protect you, their customer. But you, their customer, also has to be aware of what's going on so that if something happens that sort of parallels what FNB or Woolworths are doing, you don't fall for these little tricks and traps and whatnot going on. So, yes, I think that that businesses are responding. No, I don't think our government particularly is doing anything about it, and we're going to see some problems there. But again, not as sophisticated as many other countries around the world. And cybercrime and the predictions from companies that protect companies like Splunk um, is that it's going to become highly professional, entirely pervasive, and endemic to everything that we do. Now, we'll be back with something else in a few minutes, my gadget of the week. 
But um, stay tuned. We'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. So moving on to, I love this part of the thing, is Gadget of the Week. And the gadget I've been playing for with the last week is a new form of OLED TV from Samsung. Now, again, you have to contextualize this. There are essentially, at this point in time, two commercial technologies in in televisions on the market. The one is LCD and for marketing reasons being called QLED and all sorts of mini-LED and whatever. But it's an LCD, no, mini-LED, sorry. Mini-LED is different to LCD. But all sorts of liquid crystal display technologies with with backlighting and all sorts of tricks and, and techniques to make it as good as it possibly can be. Quantum dots, hence QLED. But essentially, there's a liquid crystal screen which sits in front of lighting, with a number of pixels, they switch on and off, or they go opaque and less opaque to put light through. And there you have it, a brilliant top-quality TV screen, um, for which has become so ubiquitous that the prices have dropped for large-screen TVs down to under 10,000 Rand for a really good TV. The drawbacks of LCD is that no matter which way you play it, no matter how careful you are, it can never give you absolute blacks. In other words, the LCD panel always has a slight gray cast, and some of the fast, the fancy techniques they've used of, of lighting, instead of having one single light at the back, having mini lights behind each pixel type of thing, has really made a huge difference. But LCD is LCD, and it's technology that has done really well. Most of us have had it at some point or still have it right now. But the other technology that emerged a couple of years ago, in fact, quite a few years ago now, and has been maturing solidly over the last couple of years, is something called OLED, organic light-emitting diodes. And that, for me, completely revolutionized television in every single respect. The difference between a, a, a LCD panel is that the LCD panel sits in front of lighting. So it, it's thicker, there's, a, a, there's filters, there's all sorts of, there's the panel itself, and then you've got the lighting panel. Well, contrast that to OLED, you've simply got a single panel. Yes, there can be a slight filter in front, but generally they're two, three millimeters thick because every single dot, every single pixel on an OLED screen emits light all by itself. So when it's off, it's off, it's black. There's nothing there, it's pitch black, you get no bleed, you get no problem with it, there's no grayness, you get fantastic contrast, and you get unbelievable accuracy and sharpness and clarity. So you stick an OLED TV of, of, of a pretty serious quality next to a very good quality LCD, and instantly you can see that the picture is sharper, the colors are more accurate, and there's just a general improvement in contrast, an order of magnitude of a couple of million. It's, it's pretty significant. So my preference has been OLED TVs forever. And the, the guys who created that, that was LG, for many years completely and utterly dominated the, the OLED panel. So everybody who had an OLED panel in their TV from Sony to Itachi to you name it, were using LG panels in the back end and just fiddling with processing and other filters and some some tiny stuff to try and make them better. And Sony did. They made, probably for my part, some of the best OLED TVs out there using LG panels. 
Well, in the last year, Samsung have come up with an OLED panel as well, which was inevitable, but it was coming down the road and it has arrived. But they took a new twist on that. One of the drawbacks of OLED was simply that because each diode emitted light and there were certain limitations in how big and how strong they could be, they were not great in rooms with a lot of brightness. The average brightness of an OLED panel was like 50% below the equivalent type of LCD panel with its its backlighting system using white LEDs. OLED doesn't use white LEDs as a as a rule. But along came Samsung with a new panel, and they they merged their quantum dot technology, which is a technology of focusing light from a, a light source and offering better better brightness, better quality of color, and OLEDs together. And they've called this panel QD OLED. And that panel first came out, interestingly, with Sony. Um, and they, they released a TV that was reviewed as well. I've, not, I've seen it, but I've not spent any time with it. Um, the Sony QD OLED panel is pretty spectacular. It gives almost a 30 to 40% increase in light output. Um, color accuracy improves. And it was, without question, a far better OLED panel than the the current LG panel. LG have moved along. They brought out a, an evolution panel, which is a lot brighter than the old ones. I don't know exactly the number, but it's, they're also touting around about 30%. But I was able to spend some time with the new Samsung S95B QD OLED. Now, it has not been released in South Africa, unfortunately. Spoke to Samsung. They've decided to hold off for a really good reason. I do believe that um, CES is coming up in January. CES is where Sony, Samsung, all the big TV manufacturers, the lot, release their latest and greatest TVs for world release over the next couple of months, generally between March, April, all the way to June for global consumption. So I think we're going to see a massive jump in um, QD OLED and Evolution OLED panels. There's also now a massive OLED panel production plant in China which will definitely bring Hisense and a lot of other companies' OLED panels to the fore. So the OLED technology has just suddenly jumped considerably. And again, competition is good. Samsung coming up with a, a really spectacular OLED panel is definitely going to push uh, LG, who are the incumbent and the main guys in the business, uh, to do something about their panels. But just looking at this new S95 QD OLED panel, one, it's 50% cheaper than the Sony panel. All the reviewers say that the Sony is a better TV, but for double the money, you know, money no object, buy the Sony. You want something that's 98% as good, buy the Samsung. That seems to be the prediction. And my experience playing with, with the, the Samsung S95B is exactly that. It is without doubt the brightest, sharpest, most exciting OLED panel that I've seen. And in bright rooms, it is significantly better than any OLED panel I've, sp I've spent time with up to now. In, in dark rooms or rooms with normal sort of evening light, it can actually be a little too bright. I've turned this one down to the middle setting to try to sort of calm it a little. It's a bit spectacular. But where it benefits enormously is that um, the, the contrasts in light scenes with dark and light are significantly better. So if you're looking for a new OLED TV at this point in time, we've got to take a quick break for our sponsors in, 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 a, in, in a few seconds. But if you're looking for a top-end um, TV, there are some spectacular deals on this one globally. Hopefully it comes to South Africa very soon. But if you are holding out 
I would say hold out to see what's coming in the new year with regard to the latest panels. But we'll I'll wrap this up and discuss some specifics around this TV in a few minutes. We're just having a quick break for our sponsors, and then I'll be right, right back. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Now, moving back to the, the new Samsung S95B, if this is a taste of things to come, I expect the 2023 Samsung TVs to be pretty spectacular. These new um, TVs using these new OLED panels certainly are far better, in my opinion, than even more expensive QLED TVs that they have. The one reservation that I have is that I find their operating system infuriating. Noisy, they just harass you to death. It's hard to turn it off. But overall, pretty slick. I mean, they've got all the apps that you need. The app quality is good. It's super fast. The remote is great. The build quality of the TV is certainly right up there. So I will let their Tizen operating system off the hook, even though it's not my favorite. Much prefer the LG operating system on their TVs. But essentially, the new QD OLED panel, um, in the absence of any direct response yet from anyone else in the OLED panel business is without question the brightest, sharpest, and most accurate panel I've seen. The other hassle that I have with Samsung is that they generally set their TVs for in-store use or for home use in the, at an extremely vivid setting. So the colors are, are way too intense. The brightness is, is insane. It's amazing for a short while. The, the pictures pop off the screen. It's pretty insane. Setting up to get it to be a little bit more relaxed and a little bit more accurate takes a little bit of fiddling. So out of the box, not great. The options are simple. You really got to burrow down into the into the settings, which are sometimes hard to find, to really get it to 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 calm. You know, to get the picture to what I would believe an optimal sort of picture. But once that's done, side by side with a 2021 um, Sony panel. OLED panel. The benefits of QD OLED are exceptionally clear, really bright. The um, HDR content from Netflix and other people come through incredibly well. The detail in dark scenes, the, the sheer quality sport is just another league. There's no blur. It's super fast. Connectivity is simple. It is a spectacular TV. At pricing, that is high. It's not cheap. I think it'll probably be in the 60,000 rand range for a 65 inch in South Africa when it finally hits our shores. But that is similar to the Sony 45 to 50,000 rand and the LG, although there are lots of specials out there. So if you're looking for a really, really spectacular TV, I, I highly recommend the new Samsung. But let's see what comes in the next couple of weeks, what's coming to the country, where we're going to see things going. However, right now, there are a lot of good deals on some really good evolution panels from LG, some of the new panels from Sony at prices that certainly you won't, unless you put something like this next to it, you really won't be happy. OLED for me certainly makes a big difference. And if you can, and you can spend a little bit more than a really good LCD at the price, you certainly, certainly should look at the QD OLEDs from Sony and from Samsung and the evolution panels from LG and Sony and others. So on that note, I've been informed that our time as usual is running out and um, enjoy the holidays, have a wonderful time, hopefully forget some of the craziness 
and let's get the new year off to a safe and cyber secure world. This is Stephen Ambrose for, for Tech Talk on High FM.